Welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Yen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. And today, Yen, we have uh, a special guest on the program. His name is Paul Lauren. Uh, he was uh, really awesome, and I got to chat with him. And uh, he played a couple of songs, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. So um, looking, cool. really looking forward to that. Yeah, well, welcome, Paul. And uh, where is Paul located? He is in New York. Ah, right on the other side of the uh, country, eh? Hey, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, the other, the other side of the country. So, um, so we had a really good chat, and uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, we're actually, I'm going to pull back the curtain, so to speak, a little bit because we're re-recording the, the uh, this podcast here. Um, last time on the pod. We did something we don't normally get to do a lot, and that is uh, we d did an in-person pod, and we did it through Zoom also, where we were distanced uh, far enough apart from each other, probably about eight, eight feet or so across a, a table and everything. And with that, when we're listening to it, like there's an, a one-second like echo, right? Like delay. Yeah, it's like yeah. a delay. It's delight. totally disconcerting. Yeah, and so we we're like, okay, we can manage this, and we we had done it once before. Uh, and so, and we did two episodes uh, during the day, and the first one worked out okay, but the second one, this one, not so much. Was it say? No. <laughs> no, man, that was painful to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So, and I didn't want to put that out on uh, on our listeners. So we're going back, and luckily we haven't had to do this very often. But you know, we're we're going in again. We're putting out a good quality product, right? So I think it's probably maybe only the second or maybe third time that we've ever had to do that. I mean, we've been pretty yeah. lucky with the. Uh, with the uh with the stuff i mean i think once um i remember one time there was user error you know um where we where we were you know where we started to uh go through the motions of of you know the pod and then all of a sudden we're like oh god the little lights blinking or not blinking or whatever <laughs> that was during the indicator is that, right? it's <laughs> that was during the performance at slims that uh oh, <laughs> we were doing yeah, we were doing backstage uh oh, venue that is no longer yeah yes yes but we were able to salvage that one but this one even yeah oh, and then i had a had the recorder die during the interview i think once uh, but so that thing that can't be controlled but you know yeah. what we're gonna do our best to put out a good product every time and so um we'll share the story that you were uh talking about and to kind of set it up um we were recording in your backyard and before we even did you know we we're doing any podcast you wanted me to help you move a very large awkward piece of furniture um right yeah so tell us tell us what you wanted to uh to me to help you move we'll do we'll do uh before i begin though um we have to make sure that we are all ready thank you for presenting your beer i just wanted to make sure ching uh, sure. That we're good to go we are yes this um yeah there's this totally i mean ridiculously heavy swing that we have uh in the backyard um so, you know, imagine uh, two reclining chairs that are um, suspended um, and they swing back and forth, right? So, yes, it's, it's heavy. <laughs> and it it's is heavy. And on top of that, it's, it's, it changes position constantly. So when you try to lift it up, the swings are going to move forward or they're going to move backwards. So there's no way two people can pick this thing up and and, and walk around with it. You need somebody, at least a third person to balance the whole thing. So yeah, um, so we tried to move that thing, couldn't move it. Yeah. Um, it was it was located uh, in the backyard uh, where we have this kind of cement patio area and then the rest of the 
um, uh, the rest of that section of the, of the backyard that's against the house is a, a wooden deck that's elevated a bit. So um, the whole idea basically was just to clear the cement area um, because we're gonna put something there. Yes. So and you, and you did not tell me where, where you were gonna put there, but, uh, but I do need to ask, has the, uh, I mean, we were not able to actually successfully move the, uh, the piece of furniture. Has it since been moved? It has since been moved. Yeah, we got lucky. Our, um, we had some gardeners come and, uh, you know, do some gardening. You know, That's what they do. Gardeners, yes, okay, gardeners good, do good. that. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they come uh, regularly, and um, and uh, it was uh, our main guy, and then one of his helpers. So we were like, "Oh my God, will you guys like help us move this thing?" So um, it was like it was raining and they were like okay that's fine we'll do it and then we tried to lift it up and it was it was slow going but we got it moved over to the other side of the yard and just kind of out of the way um it, it was the four of us right then myself yeah. and my wife and it was i'm glad we didn't have to move it you know another 10 feet, we wouldn't have made it. Wow. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> it was nuts. But um, yeah, but we made it and nobody twisted their ankles or anything in the, in the you know, in the rain. And um, the whole area now is just is, is ready for our new, uh, our new toy that we're getting. Mm, okay, it's a blow up giraffe and- uh, It's a blow up giraffe yeah. and then you can get on it and it's like, you, you you put in quarters like where the neck yeah. is on the giraffe and you hold on for dear life you could put like 10 people on the on the on the back of the giraffe it's like it's a really long thing and I think this, this is amazing like, yeah. and, and, and all socially distant right yeah uh yeah <laughs> no not really okay <laughs> this is this is uh you know we're getting ready for the post-pandemic era you know we're gonna have fun with this stuff again but anyway no uh what i what, well, getting to the point the um we're going to expand the deck. So the deck is going to cover the, um, the cement. But um, before we do that, we uh, had our neighbor come over who is an electrician. Um, he's done some work with us before, a fabulous guy, real fun. Um, and uh, my wife uh, returned her electric car. She had a three-year lease on it. And uh, we didn't need it anymore. And we're going to be a one-car family until she has to go back to work, which probably won't be for, you know, six months or something. That's an even better carbon footprint than uh, having an electric car, right? So. Yes, exactly. Having no car. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so in the, so uh, the, the point is um, we have a 240 outlet uh, in the garage that was for that electric car. Um, so we had the electrician come over and he wired um, the outlet for the backyard um, where the patio area is. And um, we are getting a hot tub connected to that thing. Um, and, nice. and we've been doing a little bit of shopping uh, here and there. And um, dude, in the pandemic era, hot tubs are hard to get. Like yeah, the one, one we of those wanted, things, huh? It's Clorox yeah. wipes and hot tubs. Is, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The two things that are really, really hard to get. And, you know, thank God you don't have to stock up on hot tubs. You know, one's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> By the but, way, I was in Costco today and they had a five pack of Clorox wipe. I thought it was like 
gold, right? I'm like, uh -huh. this is incredible. I haven't seen one of those in a year. So just, just say it. It was great. I was like, okay, got <laughs> yeah. it. You know, that was that, it, so. That's one sign that things might be going back to normal, right? It's like, oh, okay, at least we, we're getting some of those products back that we used to depend on. Um, so uh, the one that we picked out, the one that we wanted, um, the, that worked for both of us, and it was hard dude, to, pick, to pick out a hot tub that worked for us because I'm a tall guy and she's a short woman. So you have one that's like slanted, right? Like, like yeah, this, right? so exactly. So when the hot tub gets installed, it's going to be installed like a 45 degree <laughs> angle. <laughs> and she's going to be up on the top so she doesn't drown in the water level. Yeah. Okay. Ahead, so, yeah. yeah, but basically that's kind of it. You know, every hot tub we tried was either Did you test them out? in the water. Yeah, but they, you know, you, there's no water in them in the store. <laughs> so you're not really testing them out. You know, you're just trying to get a feel for, for what the seats are like and where the jets kind of hit you. And you want, you want something that actually, you know, works for you. But you both did get uh, in, in in the hot tubs to, to just yeah. pretend that you were in there. We, we got in a bunch of them, right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, so we finally found the one and the right color and they're like, okay, you'll, uh, it looks like uh, we'll be delivering that to you in January, right? And it's like January <laughs> when we're shopping. And I'm like, 2002? 2002? <laughs> 2022. Like, yeah, even... It takes a freaking year to get one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we're like, holy shit. And they said, yeah, it's the pandemic stuff. You know, they're, it takes a long time to get them built. And, you know, we know the drill. Um, and uh, we just got really lucky. We put in our order and then somebody just happened to cancel um, their order for a model that was almost exactly the same. Um, just there was one color that was a little different. And we're like, oh, that's fine. That's totally like perfect. We'll so do we don't that. have to wait a year, yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to wait a year. Yeah, it's actually coming in two weeks and um, they're gonna come in and just uh, install it in the back and then we'll have our electrician come back and actually hardwire it in. It's not one of those things you can actually plug into a wall. It's you have to hardwire it. And then uh, we fill it up with water and, and, um, and uh, we're dedicated to, to jump it in this thing, uh, you know, hopefully once or twice a day. And um, we're just keeping our fingers crossed, hoping that's going to give us, you know, the, a lot of the relief that we need for our chronically sore backs <laughs> yeah we both have a very similar you know back back issues so that's why we're getting these so yeah it's totally exciting well uh, you know we're looking forward to it um not so much the electric bill that we're going to have um but you're guess... offsetting that carbon footprint thing a little bit by the way yeah so... <laughs> exactly i know when you first said that uh, you know i was excited for a second yeah all right we're doing something better for the environment and i thought oh wait a minute we're, we're just replacing oh, yeah. it something else that takes energy but apparently so, so i looked at like the energy consumption for all sorts of different appliances that a house might have and a hot tub is not like the number one consumer consumer of electricity i thought it would be up there but the like the mm. modern ones aren't it's it's more like the um like the the washing machine and the dishwasher Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. The well, I don't have a dishwasher. One, but... I don't have a dishwasher, so I'm up there, right? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's cool. Cool. So I I uh, changed my energy plan. Um, so that should take effect in a couple of weeks. And um, 
like I said, when does it get delivered? First, um, I think two weeks. I don't know the day exactly, but we'll, yeah. we'll get it in two weeks. And then um, um, I told you uh, during the first recording of this pod that uh, you're going to have to bring your swim shorts and give it a try next time you come over. We'll do a, uh, <laughs> a jacuzzi uh, podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, great story, Jens. Um, so let's go ahead and bring in our guest now. Uh, again, this is Paul Lauren. Uh, he's been singing since he was like three. Uh, so uh, he's going to do a little bit of singing on the podcast too. And we're going to start out with uh, one of the songs he played uh, for the podcast and then get into the interview with, with Paul. So, nice. Um, do why don't we bring him on in here, huh? Yeah. But I'll, sure I'll, I'll give you a little number here that was written uh, pre-pandemic but um, certainly is, uh, feels timely every time I sing it these days. It's called Gonna Take a Little Time. It's getting better every minute, every day. But better always takes much longer than they say. Nothing ever seems to happen right away. It's gonna take a little time. A little late, but better than nothing at all. Little slow, but that's because I'd rather crawl. Long way down, even if I take the fall, it's gonna take a little time. Oh, I know it's gonna take some time, but I don't mind the waiting line, and I'm sure things will be just fine. Ooh, but it's gonna take a little time It's gonna take some time for things to settle down To get adjusted to not having you around Feel like I'm lost and maybe soon I will be found But it's gonna take a little time Ooh, it's gonna take a day or two to figure out I have an answer but I know I'll have my doubts And when I tell you I keep saying it out loud gonna take a little time oh i know it's gonna take some time but i don't mind the waiting line and i'm sure things will be just fine oh but it's gonna take a little time oh gonna take a little time yeah now Gonna take a little time. Ooh. Appreciate it. How are yeah. you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. It's a sunny, uh, warmer day here in New York City. So that is a, that's a nice thing. It's always a plus this time of year. Yeah. Have you guys gotten uh, snow this winter, like a, a decent amount or? Yeah, it actually kind of delayed, uh, which is why I'm, uh, we're speaking today, and I appreciate the flexibility. I There was a big storm here um, earlier in the week, and I was en route coming back from a performance in Omaha and was just delayed like an extra 36 hours there. Oh, <laughs> so, man. Yeah. What, do you, what, do you do, what do you do in Omaha when you're stuck there for, for an extra 36 exactly. hours? Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell you exactly because it's Omaha, but I love Omaha. I've, I found them. Um, kind of the best Reuben sandwich in town and, uh, you know, park myself at this place. Omaha's known for its Reuben sandwiches, apparently. So I, uh, I, I sought out the best one and, and made a, uh, you know, made some lemonade out of lemons. Hey, 
Exactly. That's what you got to do, right? So, yeah. Yeah. How how has the lemonade been this past year? I guess as we go along this lemonade analogy, right? What's, what's yeah. your year been like? It's been good. I mean, I, I've been forced to frame things in a different way. Um, and I think there's been some, if I can pick a silver lining from that, there's been growth from reframing things, right? Um, that things are going to take a little longer, that things are going to, there's more of an uphill climb with a lot career-wise and even in relation interpersonal relationships. But I think that 2020 has forced me specifically to be more nimble to be more flexible and to um, look at um, uncertainty in a more optimistic way, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what's something you've learned about yourself this year that, that kind of 2020 may have brought out, uh, out of you? Oh, well, the, I think that, I, that it's not too late for me <laughs> to be flexible <laughs> and, and nimble, that there's a yeah. lot of um, growing left to do and a lot of, uh, you know, flexibility and life change yet to occur. Uh, and I'm, I think coming out of last year, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to all that change for sure. Yeah. Have you seen already kind of positive changes as we're entering 2021? I guess we're well into, you know, starting 2021 at this point, but have you already seen some positivity as we're kind of rounding this corner a little bit? It seems that way. I mean, I, I went to Omaha this week for a performance, reduced capacity with the, with the symphony there, the Omaha Symphony. And that show certainly wouldn't have happened, you know, eight months ago, seven months ago. Um, and I think that things are on the up as far as testing and how we're able to manage performances. Certainly at the level of symphonies, they have their subscribers and there's kind of a built-in audience. I'm wondering about rock shows and you know singer-songwriter venues and that that I'm curious about. I think I am optimistic, you know, with the vaccine that we'll have some kind of uh, solution for festivals and rock shows and stuff like that. Yeah. So tell me about the show in o Omaha. Like, how did that go with the symphony? Like, uh, and the distancing. Like, what did, what did that look like? Yeah, they scaled down. Um, they spaced everyone out. They had they have a new venue there in Omaha, so they have a new concert hall, their new HVAC system, and they're able to distance everyone because of the space they have in the hall, both in the audience and on stage. Uh, the performance was cut down to an hour show rather than a show with an intermission. So people, once they're seated, there's no mingling. Uh, they don't get up and kind of go to the refreshment stand and <laughs> do all that. Uh, and you know. Uh, testing is required for all the performers and we're all socially distant. And I actually performed with a special mask on that uh, filtered in, the high frequencies into the microphone, but kept the saliva and stuff, you know, in the mask. It's pretty so, impressive. <laughs> yeah. So we're, I think people, I think business goes on and business always comes up with artful ways. Uh, the good part of capitalism comes up with ways that um, we can, I don't know, just weather the storm a bit more, you know? Yeah. Did it feel good to just be performing? Oh yeah, man. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's been sorely missed. I, I mean, even to perform for 20% of the audience, I mean, it's just, it's kind of quality over quantity. I'm like, yes, we're here. We're doing this together. I know we're all distant, but uh, what a joy, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. you, you grew up in uh, in New York. You've you're you're native to New York, right? So you're like tell yes. me a little tell me a little bit about kind of 
um, how you've seen kind of music change within the um, the city since you've, you know, I guess over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I grew up New York adjacent, uh, you know, 40 minutes from New York City in the suburbs of Long Island um, and would always go to the city. And in, in, in my early 20s, it was going downtown to uh, Lower East Side and to the West Village, kind of the classic clubs that existed down there. I mean, CBGB's was still around when I was in my late teens and early 20s. Um, and uh, going to the Bitter End, for example, in the West Village, um, that all informed the sense that I could, you know, write songs and perform them in front of people uh, at, even at a small level, like that was possible to do. Even if it was just a weekend side hustle, uh, going, having that experience as a young guy in New York city, for sure, uh, said, man, you could do this. These guys are doing it. These people are doing it. You could do it too. Right. And, uh, at the time I was. The scene here in New York at that time in the early 2000s specifically was like, and probably still is in the suburbs, very cover band heavy, right? Tribute bands were in vogue at that time. And I was in like a, uh, this is funny, I was I was in a police and sting tribute band at the, at the time, <laughs> hysterically. You were, okay, okay. Yeah. so we gotta, talk, yeah. we gotta talk about that, right? Like, yeah. Tell me yeah. about that, like what, what, role, what role did you play? Were you the singer? Uh, I was you, a singer. Were you sting, ultimately? I was, okay. I, was, I was sting, I did the, you know, we kept the songs in the original keys, I did the high stuff, and we had a blast, I mean, we were so young, I was, this was between when I was 18 and 21. And we were like kind of these young guys just on the scene. And we got to open up for like the Whalers and the Toots and Madles and things. And it was, you know, these, I think part of the novelty of it was that we were these 18, 19 year olds playing this music that was kind of around, we kind of grew up with, but I mean, the police broke up the year I was born basically. Right. So, (laughs) so I think that was part of the novelty um, of, of why people booked us, but, uh, it was a formative time. And I mean, just to have that kind of exposure in front of people at that young age was great, Matt. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a big fan of, of Sting and the police? Like, is that how that kind of formed or where, where how did you land with, with them? It's a good question. Yeah. I think, I think it started with a bunch of high school friends who loved the early police records. We loved uh, Ricardo de Blanc and, Outlandos to more and those kind of early jams, you know, and we were playing original tunes at the time, but it would always kind of work in like a police cover, like a message in a bottle or walking on the moon or something like that. And that just kind of formed into, we started to book gigs and the club owners at the time, you know, we, we were under drinking age, right? So we're booking these gigs and the club owners yeah. were like, no, no one wants to hear your original music. And uh, you know, what, what are people going to drink? So I think it was, it was kind of a market. We were filling a place. We were filling a spot in the local market. <laughs> there was no other police tribute bands or sting tribute bands. And we we're like, we could do this. We saw the Billy Joel band. Getting There's an booked. opening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we saw like this, this journey band and this YouTube band getting booked around and like, we could do this easy. Come on. So we did, we did it for, you know, close to four years. Amazing uh, I like time. It. What was the biggest kind of t- t- what was the biggest takeaway from that, or the most exciting piece of doing that sort of thing? That's a unique thing to kind of take on, you know. Yeah, well, for that music specifically, there's a lot of mental separation between the part, you know, think of Sting's bass playing or any of that, and the the vocal. 
And that, uh, that kind of learning, learning how to perform, be in the moment as a performer, but also think about the mechanics in a way, um, has been really instructive for me. Um, I have brought that mental separation, like say church and state, church being connected with the audience, state being focusing on the, you know, the next chord that you're about to play or the next riff or whatever, next lyric, um, which mm -hmm. is lyrics for me are the hardest <laughs> music, music I can do lyrics. I, I, I'm going to be that guy one day that needs a teleprompter for sure. Uh, but um, I definitely have taken that kind of church and state training into um, my, my current performance routine for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me about kind of kind of growing up. Like, were your parents uh, influences on you musically? I know you listen to like Billy Joe, Billy Joel, excuse me, uh, Aretha. You know that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, like, what kind of formed your your musical taste? By parent, my mom's musical taste for sure. Uh, I remember dancing to like Men at Work, Land Down Under. Like she would put on this forty five, you know, and I was I would just get down on it with her as just a young kid. So. A lot of the 80s music, I remember her having a single of Billie Jean as well. And then she loved the music she grew up with. She loved uh, Hard Day's Night would be on constant repeat in the car and Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. And um, I was exposed to that time period through our local radio station in New York, which was CBS FM. It was an oldie station, right? I mean, hysterical to think that in the 80s, it was oldies and it was only 20 years before. Like yeah. now the oldie station would be basically playing NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, you know, or something right. like that, right? Yeah, I'm like it was 1987 and they were playing, you know, the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. Like that happened you only hear, 20 years ago. <laughs> you hear Green Day on the classic rock station. And you're like, oh my God, I'm old, you know? <laughs> yes, I'm old, I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had the CBS FM at that time in New York was basically 50s through early 70s. Um, and that, I don't know, I mean, I those records became ingrained in me. I, I think about like, I think about Otis is sitting on the dock of the bay or I think about Respect Aretha or I think about um, the doo-wop stuff that was still being played at that time. Like I think about Dion and the Belmonts and the Flamingos. Uh, those records are just a part of my childhood lexicon DNA memory, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you you played at uh, Jennifer Lopez's birthday. Tell yes, me, yes. Tell, tell me about that. That's that's a unique item. It was so. It was such a lovely experience from top to bottom. Uh, top being from J Lo herself. Um, she was just the nicest human. She she wanted to do a party. The party was in Vegas, and I, I think the theme that she wanted was kind of an old, a swinging Rat Pack kind of Vegas, and you know that's music that I traffic in and, and love dearly and have a band set up to do that kind of stuff. American songbook, swing in American songbook standards. Uh, and she had us there do our thing, kind of the, we were kind of the warm up band for the DJ. The DJ taking over the second half of the night on the penthouse dance floor thing of this hotel. And uh, we were the warm up band and the DJ just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And so we just kept playing and playing and playing and playing. <laughs> and at one point there was uh, the singer Maxwell, the R&B singer Maxwell, I think he was supposed to sing happy birthday to her. He didn't show up. 
or he did show up later, but he, I, for whatever reason, he couldn't make the time that they had said. So they enlisted me to like acapella sing happy birthday to JLo. I walk over to the table and I, I'm asking the family and friends to join along. And she was just so grateful and so nice and just down to earth. And I, I remember her saying, well, I just love what you do. And I love that music and, you know, just keep doing it. And what a joy. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's pretty awesome. Um, so at what point did you know you wanted to be a performer? Like, you know, that you wanted to take music and kind of play it live and, um, and kind of define your, your, you know, musical sense that way. The performance, uh, the performance knack in me definitely started at a young, young age. I, my parents took me to this, um, a, a resort in the Catskill Mountains in New York. Like they would weekend there and there'd be this band there, this two guys only in the band. One played keyboards and like accordion, the other played drums and sang. And they just sounded like 10 guys, like the amount of sound that came from them. And they played like the pop hits of the day and like Italian American classics, you know, which I'm, I'm Italian American. And I was just in awe of these two guys and, uh, probably in awe of the adulation that they response that they got from the audience people danced to them they love them they uh, these guys were like wined and dined and held in high esteem in the resort and i probably thought to myself i don't know subconsciously like that is a that's a nice way to to go about life you know uh and when it when later when you know theater came up in school i signed up right away to do musical theater and would always be performing, would always take the solos and the school concerts and just always remember myself, um, that being a part of my life. Performance was just always a part of my life. Uh, it's doing it with my own songs. While I had some early inputs like uh, Billy Joel or the Beatles, like you can write your own songs and perform them. I don't think it, that became tactile to me in any real sense until, like I said earlier, seeing other bands and performers do it in New York City around town um yeah. and maybe they just came off the road and came back to new york to do a night and i'll be like what that's they do that for a living and they do it even at that level they can do it and it's possible to make a living so yeah it started yeah. early for me steve yeah did you get to see billy joe live and did that kind of like help in, you know mold the, you know what you wanted to become as well or yes some of those early concerts you know yes i saw billy live uh, at the at the Gar uh, Nassau Coliseum uh, in the mid 90s. I think he was on his River of Dreams tour, whatever tour he was on at the time. And the show was good. I don't, it's funny, I don't remember the show. I equate the Billy Joel thing with this documentary on, on PBS. And um, it was like a behind the scenes into his life and his writing process and his performance life. Uh, I forget the name of the doc, but it was an early 90s documentary on PBS that I was enamored of. Um, and the same with the Beatles, uh, that anthology series, the Beatles anthology that came out in the mid nineties was instrumental in the way that I, I mean, I saw those guys basically start from nothing. And then 19 years later, they're at Chase Stadium, you know, or on the Ed Sullivan show. And I just, I, I, you know, you dream, I dreamed and I still dream. It's like, am I still playing Chase Stadium at some point? <laughs> when does that happen? Chase Stadium doesn't exist anymore. We have City Field, but uh, more than concerts, I think um, TV and, and film probably brought out th that kind of dreamlike stance about music. Yeah. 
Was uh, did you always gravitate towards piano? I know you started really super young. I did gravitate towards piano, probably. I mean, I how can you exclude Billy Joel from the conversation, um, right? But probably, probably more owed to that guy at that resort in the Catskills who multitasked his way on accordion and double keyboard thing. And I just thought that he was a wizard. And I was, I remember being very attracted to the visual of the piano. Um, just the, you know, the, the keys specifically, I just loved, I just thought it was a beautiful instrument. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd always, from as far as I can remember, Steve, I was always kind of playing and singing um, together. Singing maybe started earlier, but I, I always remember like playing some, you know, chords and singing to them. Uh, and a lot of the time these days, I'll split the show with vocal only, vocal guitar, vocal piano. But my home is definitely, my heart and my home are still at the piano for sure. Yeah. So when you're writing a song, and I know you said the music comes a lot more naturally than the lyrics, like... How do you uh, how do you kind of pull out whether this is a, you know more on the guitar more on the uh, the piano? Um, I think I just kind of pick up the instrument. So you know you get a different thing on the guitar that kind of like you know you just get a. You can't really strum like that. You can't strum like that on the piano, right? It's going to sound clunky and weird. And so the songs that you write on guitar will inherently be different um, than they would on a piano. It's rare, I found lately more inspiration writing on guitar because it's a little more foreign to me. Um, and so I'll, I'll pick it up more often than I'll sit at a piano. But a lot of my tunes come from um, just melodies that I hear in my head. I'm out and about or I'm on the subway or in my car and I'm in motion maybe and a melody pops into head, I'll voice memo it and then I'll flesh it out on the guitar or the piano after that. Yeah. And are you mostly self-taught, um, I guess, on, on both? Or uh, did you take lessons along the way? Yeah, I I'm self-taught on these instruments. I read music. I took violin in school, actually. So I, I read... Write it out everything you know yeah um tell me about the tour that you did with the temptations how did that go i think they had one original member otis who's still yeah. who's still the leader but uh, kind of a, a flagship brand that's existed that long uh, i am in awe of that i mean just the dedication watching these guys still sweat it out and uh you know a part of me says it looks at that or it looks at a paul mccartney or someone like who's still doing that kind of thing at that level um, you know, they probably, it's not for money. McCartney doesn't need money. The Stones don't need money. I'm sure Otis is, you know, I don't think it, the touring is, is money driven. It's just love. Right. So I think I got that sense from watching the, the temps do their thing for sure. Yeah. Um, and how about touring with Brendan James? Uh, I mean, we've had him on the program like three different times, I think. Oh, he's, cool. He's really awesome. I, I dig him. Yeah, this is sweetheart. Um, we had a nice kind of couple months going around the country together. I opened for him, I guess, you know, the piano kind of association between us, that that was kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, and I just found him to be super affable and um, I, I, I admire his songs a lot. I really love 
his work. And uh, at that time, he was playing with a trio. Um, yeah, I think he played a couple shows solo, some smaller things that we did that were just solo, solo. But he was playing with a trio at that time, and they were killer. They created a very big sound. And he, yeah, I haven't seen him in, in a bunch of maybe that was three, four years ago now, but. Although maybe it's longer, I, I, I've lost track. It's, it's 2017, I think, actually. And I think okay. we were supposed to do an interview, you and I, back back then, too. But I, I think you didn't come to the Napa show or something. Uh, oh, right. Okay. That I, I, I don't right. know what happened, but, you know, but I was, you know, I was just looking at old emails and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know? Yes. Yes. 2017. Okay. Wow. So that's uh, four four years ago now. Jeez. It's gone. Yeah, right? It's gone. But Brendan, <laughs> I, I, I love Brendan's music. And uh, yeah, I wish him I wish him the best. I, I, have, I have to catch up with him. I should send him a note yeah actually yeah. We, we had him um he came out and played live at the vineyard i, I, I want to say it was that year because again you know him three times and mm -hmm. i don't remember which one but it was the first time and he he came out for my 100th episode of the podcast and um oh, wow. and you know and to to my house and performed it like in the rain on on my porch oh you know? wow that's so, awesome yeah yeah it was it was really cool so it was a lot of fun incredible yeah he's a super nice guy and that comes through obviously yeah. you see that yeah. So you, yeah. you've been doing you've been doing these sessions, um, Leisure Lounge on Facebook and Instagram. Can you tell me kind of a little bit about that? Yes. Well, you're kind of in the Leisure Lounge right now. I mean, I know that we're oh. getting a little, a little glare from the daytime, but it, it would have been a nighttime live stream. Um, I would do it on Monday nights because I always equated that with an industry night off, you know, a mm -hmm. night of leisure, a night where I can actually pour myself a martini and not feel guilty about it. Um, and I, I, I would do just that uh, and would let my friends and fans in and, you know, kind of lightly promote it. It came out of a need of and a want in the early pandemic of just wanting to keep the muscle flexed um, and connect with people. We were also separate. We were also isolated at the times, specifically in New York City in March, April, and May of last year. I'm sure in California as well, it's very similar. Um, and wanted to just keep uh, keep it going. So I was just kind of like, why not a piano bar setting where it's not about me, maybe it's about people's requests and maybe that would give them impetus to, uh, you know, to invest a bit more. If they said, I want to hear Goodbye Yellow Brick Road or I want to hear you sing, um, I don't know, Whitney Houston song. Or message in a bottle, maybe. There uh, you go. Message. <laughs> I think I did play message in a did bottle you? for someone. That's correct. It was a joy. I, I've since, you know, it has come back. I did like a surprise holiday leisure lounge. But um, uh, yeah, I might I might bring it back. We'll see where, we'll see where the world goes, Steve. I like it. And as you, you know, as we entered quarantine, what I thought was really interesting, you wrote a, a I mean, what a really great song, We'll Be Together Again. You know, Thanks. tell me kind of, tell me kind of where you were at when you, I mean, I know where you're, you're at really, but kind of what was going through your mind as you were writing that song? Yeah, that, that actually came the very, it's funny to think back, it's been almost a year, but it came the very first week of our, I think I wrote that like two days after St. Patrick's Day or something like the, that week in March when New York City just shut. And yeah. I just assumed that I was indefinitely in my apartment, which almost became true in some ways. I would just be here and uh, I live alone. Uh, so I, I didn't expect to see the people that I love most um, in any short term uh, projection. So I just, I thought about those. I had an idea to, we'll be together again, came from like the idea of those World War II songs, you know, 
um, said, uh, someday our troops will be back and, uh, you know, Johnny's going to see uh, Jill again and uh, we'll all we'll all get together and have a turkey roast at some point, you know, and I, I liked that idea. Uh, and I just kind of wrote it as a message in a bottle to people like, hey, you know, just sending it out, sending an SOS out, so to speak. And uh, I ended up I ended up moving my half of my recording studio to my apartment during the pandemic and started making a record here. And that I ended up putting that out as a single a couple months later, but that was made here at home with a few other people recording remotely on it. Um, so it was definitely of its time, but uh, I have performed the song a bunch in recent months um, wherever I am too. Yeah, it's it's a good promising feel, promise feeling song because you know I don't think any of us really truly expected this to last as long as as it has. But you know we got to look towards that horizon and when we'll be able to get to get back together, right? I mean, it's yes, it's, yeah, for sure. And I think listening to the song now with so much time removed from it, I listened to it last week actually. I was going through some old stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it is the we in the general sense of all of us, we, we can get together, but maybe it's about, you know, missing someone, just someone you love or, or reconnecting with an old loved one uh, or a relationship that didn't go the way you thought it would, um, that there might be hope, there might be hope to reconnect with someone at some point too, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, and you've done, you've done a lot of good, you've done some charity work. Can you tell me about your work with the Ryan Seacrest Foundation? I like to, well, it's been tough to do stuff in person, obviously, and I hope yeah. to be at, at any of those hospitals um, again. I do feel, and I've done a lot of work with the Ronald McDonald House. Um, I do like a yearly, I had done a yearly holiday benefit there. I do think that children, if there's something that really tugs at my heart um, and if there's something that I think music has the ability to bridge any gap on, it's the, it's the idea that children who are not given a fair shake is a way more disruptive and tragic thing than any of us in some ways, you know, uh, I know, I know that feels a bit, um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, kind of a reach, but I, my heart gets tugged at when I see kids going through something and, I thought if there's a way to, Ryan Seacrest does this really well. Ryan Seacrest, in a sense, you're, you're bringing music to the kids, but you're actually really performing for the kind of the families as well. They're going through something. And I think that uh, that foundation and the Ronald McDonald House, because that is about the families who are there as well. They need to be uplifted. Music has the ability to do that. I'm, I'm a vessel in, in that sense. And I, it makes me smile just hopefully as, as much as it lightens their hearts in a crazy, crazy time. So that's always uh, any work that I've done for charity. You know, I, th I think of it that way. Like we got to spread a little joy. You guys are going through something. We've all gone through something, some version of loss or hardship. And music is the only thing in my mind, um, other than maybe sharing a nice meal with someone to uh, let us forget for a second. Yeah, well, that's really, really great because it is important and it is something that, you know, I mean, maybe not enough emphasis is always put on, you know, on there that music can help, you know, really take people out of, you know, a dark spot, right? Out of yes. something that's really challenging for them. And, you know, they may be in, 
you know, the hardest point of their lives, but not, you know, but just hearing a good song and positive uplifting song and having someone there in that, that sense, you know, can, you know, really turn, help you turn a corner, right? That's the right way to say it, for sure, for sure. It's, it's all about that uplift and, um, and being present. And if you have something else to focus on in that present moment, aka music, you do tend to forget about the worries and the woes, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the new album. Um, is it called yeah. Betwixt and Between? Is that the name of the album? Oh, well. <laughs> or is that? Or so, is that... No, it's, it's great. So that's okay. kind of been the working title on it. I, I, like I said, I brought the recording studio here or a lot of it here and started fleshing out these demos. I wrote 25 songs within six weeks or something like that in between April and June of last year. Uh, and at some point I was just like, when the recording studio opened up, I work out of Studio G in Brooklyn. I have a, a lot of my vintage gear there and recording equipment there. Uh, when that opened up in late July, um, the rhythm section, of Zach Jones and Oscar Albus Rodriguez, I called on them and they were down to do it. And we record, we went through 20 something songs together. Um, I completed everything really by the end of October, finished mi mixing the record by, by December. So it's firmly a 2020 record in some ways. But I think we, I don't know that it's going to be released as a double album yet. I think I'm going to put out some singles and kind of just maybe compile it into EPs. And then eventually maybe next year, a double vinyl, double full double record from it all. But yeah. it was meant to be, it is meant to be a double vinyl, a double record, you know, four sides, uh, 22 songs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. And so with, with writing a, with writing an album in that kind of, in this environment, right? Like where, did, where does your mind go? What, what thematically were you trying to uh, portray through this, this album? You mentioned we'll be together again, that, that writing that song being kind of stuck in this apartment <laughs> opened up a floodgate. Uh, you know, there are days of course that I woke up and didn't feel like writing at all, but that opened up a floodgate thematically i think um the want for connection the nostalgia for um, life the way we all knew it um and hope that that would come back the kind of loss of 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 a relationship or two um leading up to that uh time period and using that as writing material and kind of working through that cathartically and it's certainly a pen my friend evan called it a pandemic breakup record but uh -huh. I do think there, while that exists, my songs, I don't think ever get to full darkness. I think there's a, a shimmer of hope and light throughout all of them, even in the remorseful kind of moments, you know, and even in the sadder moments, there is a, I'm an optimist and there is always a look to a brighter and better tomorrow for sure. Yeah. And so did you, were you planning on come, uh, on this album, like whether, you know, pandemic or not, or did it kind of form as, you know, as everything changed and everything shut down? Oh, it definitely formed. I didn't expect to write that many songs, nor did I expect to compile them. I just was writing to write. I would just kind of wake up and say, uh, it became a part of my routine at some point, you know, I would wake up and from 11 to two, that would be my writing time. And I'd have to have a voice memo by 2 PM. And it became this thing. Little did I know, I mean, when I'm looking, when I'm looking back at the material that it, it really focused all of my attention and energy away from the pandemic. I mean, and away from 
the kind of misery, misery of what we were going through and the bleakness, it brought me into this true, uh, you know, sense of construction and creation and um, really reframed my whole kind of year emotionally and grateful to be a songwriter, grateful to be an artist in order to do that. We all, I'm sure we all have our own way of, of dealing with the darkness. And that was mine, you know? Yeah. And as, and as you were writing this, are you, do you envision like being able to play it live? You know, that sort of thing. Is that a product, part of your considerations as you're making the album? Interesting. It was pre 2020 um, with these songs. I just was focused on, I wasn't thinking about my band, my band prior or thinking of shows, nor was I thinking about a set list, which I would always kind of write to before I would think like, well, I need a moment in the show that feels like this. But these songs, I really just kind of wanted to write. I wanted them to write what I was going through in the moment and be the best version of what they were. And when we recorded them, again, they felt great live in the, in the studio with those guys to, to lay them down. But the idea of a show or playing them out live in front of people was the last thing in my mind. Although now that I'm listening to all 22 songs, I'm like, maybe half of them, I don't know if I would play live, but there's a lot of bangers in there and a lot of barn burners. And uh, I'm so psyched when the world comes back to play them live. That's awesome. Um, Thanks. Do you, do you have like a mentor or someone that you, you know, but you bounce this off of before you're like, okay, hey, okay, this is what I got here. Um, will you give this a listen and give me some feedback and kind of take it back and remold it at all? I selfishly put put my friends to the test. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure at some point they were probably tired of me sending them voice memos, but I sent out, I think that was a way that we all connected. I, I said, hey, this is kind of what I did today. I shared what I did. What did you do? I would send them a song and they would say, I love this. It sounds like Roy Orbison or uh, my buddy, Evan Doobie, uh, who said, who used the term pandemic breakup record. Uh, you know, I would, I would use him as a sounding board a lot. Uh, I respect his musical taste and I would always forward him uh, what I was working on. And he'd say, you know, that feels more like Tom Penny than it does Billy Joel and, or that feels like an early Beatles tuner. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Interesting. And I think that at some point that it did inform the recording and the production of these songs, like where I could take them, which had been different than what I'd been working on before. I mean, there are moments on the new material that sound like David Bowie or I don't know, like an early sun studios record. And before, maybe I was a little more, I was thinking a little more about Sam Cooke or Frankie Valli or uh, the Shirelles or something like that. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, Bowie or Tom Petty or I don't know, whomever. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess people, to answer your question, sorry about the tangent, but people's okay. opinions about what it sounds like kind of opened up a production toolkit and palette for me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so as we wind out, I have, I think, two more questions, and then we can have you play a song or two. Um, sure. So, um, so you, uh, you had the opportunity to perform on The Tonight Show. Uh, how did that come about, and tell me about the experience. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine at the time was showrunner on the show. Uh, he, we knew each other th through the New York City scene, kind of, uh, through mutual friends. And he had this kind of skit, this segment, where they would quote unquote, pluck people out of the audience and dare them to write a song, right? These were, we're all supposed to be kind of amateur songwriters. Of course, me and the other lady who performed were not amateur. I mean, we, maybe I consider myself an amateur, but we have been writing for a long time. 
Uh, and that was the premise of this skit. And uh, it was really fun. I mean, I had just that morning I landed from France. Like I was just on this, like just fully in, in layover mode of like, where am I? And why am I showing up at 30 rock, you know, at, at 12 PM on a Monday. Uh, and it turned out just to be a whirlwind day. We got a song title in our green room. They brought a piano in for me. And uh, 20 minutes later, I was playing the song I wrote in those last 20 minutes and Questlove is, you know, seven feet away from me. Okay. So I was just like, how do I get here? And <laughs> but Jimmy was great. Uh, everyone on the show was great. And it was certainly a, a really nice experience. And I hope to be back when the, when the world comes back, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my last question, did you, have, did you get a chance to tour the Bay Area at, at any point? And if so, like, where did you perform? What? Good question. I did. I haven't toured up there recently. I did a bit of Southern California recently. I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to get back to the Bay Area. I think it's been over a decade, honestly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd love to get, get to Napa. I mean, if there's a way to, uh, to get out and see you and perform for you in person and, and kind of do the festival and whatever else you have there set up, would love yeah. that. But it's been a second since I've been to the Bay Area. The last time I was there was for pleasure, uh, was in Sonoma, uh, drinking, drinking the drinks and, and, uh, -huh. uh an Oakland eating the tacos. So that was, <laughs> sounds like you did it right. So yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But I'd love to get back. Very cool. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully obviously sooner rather than later, we can start getting some live shows going again. It's been far too long since I've been to a concert and I miss it. So the yeah, I've been able to play some is, is amazing. So cool. Um, yeah. I hope so too. I hope I hope the world comes back sooner than later, and uh, hope to see IRL at some point. And I'll I'll end with one here um, called "I Know a Place," and uh, it feels like it, a nice kind of finale. And I've done it at my shows as a finale in times prior, in the before times, as they say. Uh, it is a song about kind of oneness and unity, and as Pollyanna as that esque as that sounds uh i do believe it and i do think um there is a place for all of us and um you know there's some there's definitely hope on the horizon i think this year uh has has give, given us some some nice glimmers in that direction so it ain't all bleak and uh this is i know a place i know a place somewhere we can go a place where our hearts are free And so far away from trouble and woe A place meant for you and me Let's make it a place that others can find Where no one can tell them they're wrong Long as we lay our worries behind, it's a place where we all belong. Though it sounds like a dream, an impossible scheme, but I know in my heart that it's true. Oh, with time on our side, 
With arms open wide, we'll get there. No matter what we do, oh, there must be a place where a voice can be heard, where everything sounds like a song, where harmony speaks much louder than words, a place where we all belong. Oh, it may sound like a dream, an impossible scheme, but I know in my heart that it's true. Oh, with time on our side, with arms open wide, we'll get there. No matter what we do, whoa, whoa, I know there's a place, a room with a view of long summer days in the sun where nobody says there's freedom for few because it's a place meant for everyone a place where we all belong Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it, and uh, and thank you for uh, for taking the time today as well. I, mean, I really appreciate it and enjoyed our conversation, and you know, getting to dig into Likewise. your music and, and the new album. Also, I mean, you know, it's uh, I, I'm sure you're excited for it to come out, but it's uh, uh, I was really digging on it too. So thanks, man. Thank you, and uh, I really appreciate the time and speaking to you. And I have a new single actually coming out next Friday uh and uh that was a part of the sessions for the new record but it's living a little separately it's a it's a roller skating anthem in some ways a kind of funky fun thing and putting it out for valentine's day weekend so uh we'll send that to you too so you get to uh, hear it and enjoy it oh that'd be awesome what's it called it's called keep keeping me close okay I but like not it. too close because we need not to too social close. distance no. but yeah six, yes. six feet of course you know <laughs> six so. feet of fun, yes, for sure for sure. But I do appreciate the time. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you, man. I hope to uh, hope to see you in real life when the world comes back up and running. Back at you. And uh, yeah, yeah, this will be up in about a week or so, a uh, week, week and a half, something like that. So I'll shoot the links over to, to Dan and Carrie when it's uh, when it's live. And uh, Wonderful, man. Get out there. So yeah, we well, have an awesome one and, uh, and stay safe Thanks. for sure, okay? You too, Steve. I'll talk to you soon, man. Right. Cheers. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Bye. That was the interview with Paul Lauren here on Concert Pipeline. And Jens, that takes us to the final segment on the program. What is it? It's time to talk about some music news. It's the time where we start telling the stories that uh, are happening in the music world. That is absolutely right. Um, we have a couple stories for you today, what's going on, and I'm going to start with one about Bruce Springsteen. Now, I'm not sure if you heard this, Jens. Uh, did, you, did you hear what, what happened to Bruce, the boss? Uh, yeah, but I don't want to spoil your story. It has to do with drinking. It does. Well, you just, cheers to that, Jens, okay? Yeah. Uh, 
cheers to drinking. So I think the, the, the takeaway for the story that you're going to present is always make sure you're drinking. Always make sure you're drinking. Yes, I'm sure Bruce would agree. Um, news has surfaced that Bruce Springsteen was arrested uh, for DUI, driving while intoxicated, uh, in his home state of New Jersey last fall. It just came out, I guess, though. Um, and TMZ was the first to report the alleged November 14th incident, which saw Springsteen cited for DUI, reckless driving, and consuming alcohol in the closed area at Gateway National Recreation Area in Sandy Hook, New Jersey. Um, so, wow. according to the... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, it, I'm surprised that it took so long to, uh, you know, for that story to get out. Yeah, that's the interesting part, right? I mean, because it's been like three months. So this isn't yeah. like breaking news. Sort of thing, but, I, I, I know. Um, I know. But I didn't just, realize that. I mean, I just saw the headline of that story and I just assumed, oh, that's, mm -hmm. you know, must have just happened. But you would think that like the officer that was writing the ticket was like, oh my God, I'm writing Bruce Springsteen a fucking ticket. That is so cool. Can you autograph my ticket or something? And then, you know, they, they'd show- I mean, yeah, that's a sign right? Put on <laughs> Facebook, you know, and then boom, everybody knows what happened. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good it. idea, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he does have to sign the ticket, right? It's like an acknowledgement right. that, you know, that he was delivered it, so. Um, yeah. According to the Asbury Park Press, uh, Springsteen was riding his Silver Triumph motorcycle when he pulled over uh, to take pictures with fans who offered him a shot of tequila. Uh, his BAL was 0.02, just a quarter of New Jersey's legal limit, right? And California too is 0.08. So that's, that's interesting. When he was arrested by authorities uh, after allegedly failing two field sobriety tests. So how does that work, right? He's a quarter of the limit, uh, but he's failed the sobriety test. So they, uh, so we got a DUI. Like, what? What is the deal there? Uh, it's, but it's probably political. Officer... It's probably political. It's probably like Bruce is a, a Bernie Sanders fan, and the cops were a bunch of proud boys. Yes. Yeah, so, well, the officer indicated on the arrest documents that he, uh, he Springsteen smelled strongly of alcohol coming off his person and had glassy eyes. Uh, admitted he had two hard sh uh, he had had two shots of tequila in the last 20 minutes and initially refused to provide a sample on the preliminary breath test. Uh, as Sandy Hook is part of the federally operated recreation area, Springsteen will appear in federal court via video conference. It just seems really odd, right? Like, I mean, there's no leniency there or what, you know? Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's, and he didn't blow 0.08 or anything, so it wasn't even close. But know. he smelled like alcohol, so I know. I think right? we, we, might have to, we might have to know more about the community. You know, is this like a community where where they give everybody a ticket? Like you, 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 you're jadewalking if you're not, you know, exactly on the crosswalk. If you're two inches away from it, they give you a ticket. You know, is it that kind of community. <laughs> I mean, he like we're talking like New Jersey, right? And when you think of New Jersey, there's a couple of artists that you think of. Uh, I mean, and people that define the state a little bit, and, and Bruce Springsteen's one of them, right? Like, and uh, Bon Jovi's another one, right? And so to 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 penalize, and not to say that they're above the rules, but I'm not seeing where he broke the rule in particular, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, so it just it it doesn't send a great message for looking out for <laughs> for mm -hmm. those that are like he's like a founder of this you know state sort of thing he's such a big representative of new jersey that it's, it's like really 
Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. That's just me. Who knows, man? Who knows? All I can say is that I'm fucking happy he was driving a Triumph. If you're going to drive a motorcycle, <laughs> drive a Triumph. That's the way to go, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Speaking of Triumphs, I can't get my damn Triumph started. Oh, it is. All day. <laughs> you're not, you haven't been triumphant, have you? I haven't been triumphant with my Triumph, no, but it's my own fault. I, I don't ride the thing as often as I should. So it just When sits. was the last time? When was the last time you wrote it? <laughs> like over a year ago. Mm, I don't think I wrote okay. it at all in 2020. Mm, might be Which time to been... turn that one in too. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Time to sell it. Anyway, uh, I am getting off topic. I have a story. Yeah. Are you done with your story? I am. Hit us. All right. My story is not about Bruce. It is about Justin. Mm, okay. So apparently Justin Timberlake apologizes or apologized to Britney Spears and to Janet Jackson. He says, I know I failed. Hmm. What do you fail for? I wonder. I have no idea. I don't know what this is about, but let's find out. You know, just the takeaway from that uh, you know, header makes me think that, you know, it it, it was an apology that should have come like a long time ago. It sounds like he's in a 12-step program, then he needs to make some amends, right? Is what's kind of happening yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it took 12 years for him to finally come to terms with, yeah, I should have apologized for that. Um, anyway, so uh, he says, I know this apology is a first step and doesn't absolve the past. Um, and I guess this is all about some framing Britney Spears backlash. Yeah, because there's that new documentary that's out and people are all like up, you know, I mean, it's a thing people are watching right now, right? I haven't seen it, but. Um. Okay, so Justin has apologized to both Brittany and Janet. In a new statement, the singer posted on social media. So following the recent release of the documentary, as he said, Flaming Britney Spears, okay, got it. So Flaming Britney Spears is the name of the documentary. Timberlake has been criticized for the public relations Offensive, his team dispatched in the aftermath of the pop star's breakup with the tabloid accusations against Spears damaging her reputation in the media and public eye. You see, I read this stuff and I didn't know that Britney Spears was damaged. I didn't realize her reputation was damaged. She had a really tough period and, um, you know, like, and I don't, I mean, it's been a while, right? We're talking 15 years ago, probably, but. Are we talking about like the shaved head thing? I think like that she, was a, she, she yeah. went nuts. Like she couldn't handle all the pressure, the stardom or whatever it was. I think so, yeah. Okay, all right, I know what we're talking about now. Um, she looks good bald. So I've, uh, he says, I've seen the message tags, comments and concerns, and I wanted to respond. I'm deeply sorry for the times of my life where my actions contributed to the problem, where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. This is what Timberlake wrote in his Instagram statement. I understand that I fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. Mm. Well, you know what? I'm glad that he finally came to terms in his 12-step program and, you know, did the right thing by apologizing. And so, so the Janet, the Janet Jackson, well, 
So oh, the nipple gate. Oh, yeah, right. The nipple, there you go. I yes. like public nudity. I have no problem. <laughs> nope, you're you're okay with that, right? So. <laughs> I remember that just seeing, seeming so staged. It's like, that was so staged. Uh, again, following Super Bowl Nipplegate scandal while Jackson was blacklisted from radio and her career momentarily derailed following the incident. Timberlake, who pulled at Jackson's bra during the infamous wardrobe malfunction, exposing her breast, faced no repercussions. Really? He did that? And he... Yeah, it looks like he played this. He played the Super Bowl halftime show a couple other times after that, right? So, so what I saw on TV is that I saw like, wasn't it just like one boob that was exposed, and there yeah. was like a star on it? I it was, it may have, was covered. It was. Totally I don't know covered. that it was. Was it? Maybe like, it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't covered live. Maybe it was covered right. because it was. You know, sometimes they do that. Yeah, because it was delay and it was edited. Yeah, I think when it was live, it wasn't, you know, there was no coverage or anything of, uh, of the nipple in there. So it was like, interesting. Yeah. it was a big deal because of that. So. Staged. Oh. Yeah. You but, see, I, so that totally makes sense. I remember, I remember very clearly that, that um, Janet Jackson thing, but I, I had no idea that he. And it's just interesting. He's going back, you know, 15 years or so to a couple, you know, a couple of things he did that may, had an impact on, you know, I mean, I don't know. It. I think it's water. I mean, I don't know. Not from obviously, it's not my decision to make it, to say that. But, but I mm. think he, a lot of people have moved on, and I don't know that Janet has been held. I don't know. I, I don't know how this affected her directly, right? You know, I mean, I can't speak right. to that. But uh, I think people still respect her as a musician, and mm -hmm. um, and that hasn't changed because of the right. Super Bowl halftime show. I completely forgot happened, about so. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, you know, it's. It, I'm sure it's. It's. A, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, you know, somewhat of a relief or something for Janet yeah. and Brittany to. Um, you know, I don't want to say closure, but <laughs> yeah, it's nice yeah, to know well, that people grow up and mature somehow, right? So they. they that's a good way to look at it. In a in in, in some way, uh, and um, yeah, might have taken yeah. just a long time, but. Well, you Done. There, there it is. Well, I have one more story ends, and uh, you know this is involving Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, right? Yeah. Tell yes, me what's yeah. going on with Mr. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters and your shoes. The, sh the shoes, the, uh, the infamous uh, Foo Fighter shoes, which, uh, by the way, are not shoes. not only are not not available uh they're, i mean there's they're not just sold out on van's website anymore they're just the page is down it doesn't even exist for uh for those shoes so they are done being sold and from, from so what it's I can not tell. like the server crashed it's like the project is done there's nowhere you can buy them that's except what it seems that's what it seems like ebay or what have you people you know, resell them yeah 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 so well, pretty okay. lucky to have gotten up there yeah, um, yeah. You want to show them off? I do not because I'm not actually not wearing them in the house. But <laughs> I know I said dude, that I was gonna. Dude, they're never gonna be we... off. <laughs> that was probably on the last pod, Jens. We can't, you know, talk about that. Okay. So. All I remember is yeah. that something about you sleeping with them, taking a shower with them. They're never gonna leave your feet mm -hmm. unless you are buried in the ground. 
I'm pretty protective about when I wear them though. Like I need to like if I'm gonna be walking in dirt or anything, I'm not gonna wear yeah, those yeah, yeah, shoes. Yeah. So you're not so. gonna be wearing them in the marsh when you're hunting. No, no, no. That's, that's <laughs> probably the last place I would wear them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, but 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 the Foo Fighters' new album, Medicine at Midnight, uh, debuted and um, and they debuted atop the UK charts with their new album. Um, and according to official charts company, the band's 10th studio release earned 42,500 chart sales while outselling its six closest rivals combined mm. to enter mm. the UK top 100 charts at number one. So um yeah and they also they also claim the top spot of uk's official vinyl albums uh chart with opening week sales of 10,500 copies um and dave has this to say uh i would like to thank everyone for honoring us with this number one record uh after 25 years of being a band it still kind of blows our minds that this could actually happen and we're very grateful and very thankful we can't wait to get back out there and see you guys sooner than later i hope we're ready uh, every day. We're one step closer. Thank you very much. It's an honor to have this number one record. See you soon. Um, so he's excited to get back out and play some shows. And I mean, they they made this album to play live, right? Yeah, and yeah. they're itching to be able to do that. Yeah. Nice, nice. You know, it's it's albums like 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 that where I feel like should I start a collection of you know, seriously awesome vinyl, just even a little connection, like a dozen, like a dozen epic vinyl albums include this one and actually buy a turntable. You gonna do it? No, but no. I feel like every now and then I feel like I should, I should do that, I should. Oh, I've, had that, I've had that thought too sometimes actually, like, uh, it, like yeah. it would be cool to do it, but then I'm like, God, I, I don't need more stuff. And I just, yeah. I you know, like I like to listen to my music on the move, you know, whether it's it, in the it, or in the exactly. car. And taking a you know a turntable yeah. in the car probably wouldn't work out yeah. too well. Uh, <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> Put the turntable on the dashboard. But yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I I'm just um I I remember doing that stuff when I was a kid. Right. I mean, CDs mm -hmm. were a brand new thing back then. Um, but everybody had a turntable, and everybody had a huge collection of vinyl. And as kids, we had time, we had so much time just to hang out and just listen to, to albums. But now, exactly like you said, you're on the go, you're on the go, you're on the go. It's like, I can't sit down and listen to a vinyl album on the couch and just sit there yeah. and enjoy it. It's like, I, I'm too restless for that. I've got to, you know, got to be listening to it while I'm walking the dog or in the car while I'm going to get beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, all right, Jens. Well, that's our show for today. So I want to thank Paul Lauren for joining us uh, and uh, everybody for listening. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about what we have coming up um, next week on the show. We have uh, an artist named uh, who goes by Good Bison. And, um, and so we'll be getting into that pretty soon. Um, and so for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Schippel. And that is Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time. See ya.